Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's great seeing you today and uh, glad that you've joined us. And those who've joined us online, we're thankful for your presence as well. Uh, Friday night, Mary and I decided to go on a date and she... We decided, we had a lot of friends that recommended to us to go see Elvis, the movie. Uh, spoiler alert, he, he dies. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, we, so we went and, you know, I'm just sitting on, you know, it was a pretty good movie. And uh, I thought, that was such a sad life. And, and uh, anyway, it reminded me of a couple of experiences that I'd had uh, that was connected to Elvis. And one, I was... A friend of mine who was a youth minister in Memphis called and wanted to know if I would come do his wedding. I said, absolutely. So I went and did his wedding, and um, it was an unusual um, wedding party. Four of, they had four bridesmaids, which that was very normal, but then he had 16 groomsmen, 16, and they were all youth ministers. And I, you know, and I was standing there looking at my friend, and I said, "I am looking at a really dumb person." And he said, "What?" I said, "You got 16 youth ministers. They're going to pull every trick in the book on you. This is not going to be a normal." I mean, and they did. They pulled so many pranks on him during. I, I almost stopped the wedding, and so you know, to say, "You guys got to stop. You just got to quit." But uh, I didn't do that. And anyway, while I was out there, he said, "Hey." Um, I've got some things I've got to do. Have you ever been to Graceland? I said, no, I've never been there. He said, would you like to take, have a tour? And I said, sure. And a friend of his in his church was a bodyguard. He, he was like a bodyguard for a lot of famous people. And I said, so he said, he'll take care of you and he'll watch out for you. And uh, I said, well, I'm sure he will. And uh, so we were taking the tour and we ended the tour standing at Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley's grave. And so we're sitting there looking at it because he died like a couple of months after Mary and I were married. So we kind of remember that. And, um, and the guy leaned over to me. He said, you know, he's not really in there, don't you? I said, no, I, I don't know that. <laughs> and I said, so where is he buried? Oh, he's not buried. I said, Hmm. You're one of those people. <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, uh, I said, so I looked at him really serious. I said, so you really believe he's still alive? He said, oh yeah, without a doubt. He said, in fact, I know for sure that he signed his own death certificate. I didn't know there was a place to sign your death certificate, you know, if you were the person dying. And I said, wow, this is really interesting. And uh, I was more interested in him than I was in Graceland at that point. <laughs> I was sitting there, how do you get to that place? And, and so then that brings me to episode number two. Uh, when he actually passed away, um, Mary had a friend at work. She worked at a hospital while we were both in college. And she said, yeah, we've got a friend who is a serious Elvis Presley fan. I said, you know, I've heard about those people and I've never met one. I said, let's invite her to dinner. And so this was like, you know, maybe a half a year after he passed away. So we invited her over for dinner. She was a believer. And um, so we were sitting there talking and 
I said, so tell me just how serious of a fan are you? And she said, well, I'm the president of four Elvis Presley clubs. President of four? One's not enough. <laughs> you know, you go, you, I mean, I don't get that. And then I said, so what's it like being president? She said, well, we, you know, we make sure that people go to his concerts and stuff like that. And she said, but the hardest decision I have to make every, every concert is deciding what gift I'm going to buy Elvis. I said, really? She said, yeah, I always get front row seats and, and it, it's important to have a gift to give to him while you're on the front row seat. I said, yeah, you're, you are really serious about this. She said, oh yeah. And, and then I said, so what else? She said, well, every vacation I have, I go to Graceland and stand in front of his house. I said, like, you know, every day? She said, oh yeah, 24-7. Oh, every night, too. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, have you ever seen him? Yeah, one time he drove out and I saw him for about three or four seconds. And I said, so that was worth it. She said, absolutely. And then she said, but one time he was in the hospital. So I took an extra week of vacation and I camped out in a little old lady's hospital room for a week. I said, seriously, they let you stay in there for a week? She said, yeah, I just pretended like I was a family member and, and I took care of her. And I said, so why did you do that? She said, because the day he checked out, I got to watch him walk down the hall. And I'm just sitting there trying to be polite. But I'm sitting there going, you are nuts. <laughs> I mean, what is wrong with you? And, uh, and I, I finally just said, you know, I know you're a Christian. She said, oh, yeah, I'm a very serious Christian. I said, do you not, do you not think that maybe this is a little bit of uh, idol worship? She said, no, not at all. I'm just a fan. I said, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I said, you're way beyond a fan. And, uh, and I just like, you're, you say you're a Christian, but you're all caught up in this. And uh, it made me think about, you know, going to the movie and thinking about those events. It made me realize, I said, you say you're a Christ follower, but your life is defined by something else. I follow Jesus, but my life is defined by this. And this is exactly what Paul was dealing with at the church with the Galatians. And uh, he was confronting this idea that they were not believers, then they became Christ followers, and they had been set free from their sin life. And now these false teachers were coming in and they were getting their focus. They were getting these Galatians focus off of Jesus and on to their rules and regulations. All the Old Testament stuff, all the rituals. And, and so even though they said they were Christ followers, their focus was over here. Their attention was over here. And this is exactly what Paul was addressing. You know, while, while, while salvation is a free gift from God, it does not mean, like some people think, well, then I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want to. I, I've got my get out of hell card. I get to go to heaven. Therefore, 
I get to do whatever I want to in this life. That's not what being free in Christ means. To say that you're free in Christ, it means I'm free that I don't have to sin anymore. And I'm free to follow him. To live for him. That's what being free in Christ truly means. So let's, let's get into this as we talk about... Well, you know what? I, I want to say lay one more foundational stone. Um, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at a couple of verses there that really sets up what we're going to be talking about in Galatians today. Ephesians 4, listen to what was written. With the Lord's authority, I say this. So he's saying, I'm representing God here. I'm speaking under his authority. So this is coming from God. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, when they would say that, they basically would say as non-believers. So you and I don't really relate to the Gentiles in that sense. So it'd be like, live no longer as non-Christ followers, non-believers do. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts against him. You know, when I read these words, I want to go, wait a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago, but it could have been written yesterday. I mean, this sounds like where we are in so many ways as a country. They have no sense of shame. They, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They get excited about it. Now, I, I don't expect Christ-honoring behavior from non-Christ followers. But often, even though Paul was talking specifically to non-believers about this, the same principle holds true for believers. See, in, in these verses, there's a couple of characteristics of ungodly lifestyles. And, and this applies to believers and non-believers. Hopelessly confused, mind full of darkness. <clears throat> now, unbelievers, they are intellectually unproductive when it comes to spiritual things. Believers who have taken their focus off of Jesus and put their focus somewhere else, they become intellectually unproductive when it comes to things of Christ. And, uh, and as far as spiritual and moral issues are concerned, they rationalize. And it's distorted. Hopelessly confused. That applies to non-believers, but it also applies to believers who've taken their eyes off of Jesus. They wander far from the life God gives. And so here's what was happening in Galatians, uh, in, the, in, the book, in the letter. <clears throat> Christ came there and he introduced them to Jesus and they gladly accepted him. 
And then some false teachers came along and got their eyes all got their eyes off of Jesus and onto their rituals, their regulations, their legalism. So they stopped looking to Jesus and started looking at all this self-righteous stuff. I, I can do this and I, I, can, I can make myself acceptable to God. And the reality is they started living just like non-believers in the same result. So the, the believers who were got their eyes off of Jesus, they think they're living pure lives. They think they're living ethical lives, but it's all self-righteousness. And in fact, that's the crowd that Jesus was so repulsed by when he was on earth. And I get the feeling that what Paul is saying, you're no different from the non-Christ followers. You have the same desires just expressed in a different way. So he, we see this in Ephesians, and he goes on to talk about how there's no sense of shame whatsoever. There's, a, there's an insensitivity morally. Lustful behavior, every kind of impurity, uh, their behavior was just depraved. And they willingly gave to it. I mean, we can't watch the news a single day without hearing of some other name that everybody knows who has had a major falling out because of this, their depravity. So now we're getting into Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Paul said, before you, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slave to so-called gods that did not even exist. They're these so-called gods that enslave us, captivate us, and we follow after it. We give ourselves to it. He says, so now that you know God, or I should say, should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. Why do you want to go back there? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days and months and seasons of the years. So he, he basically was talking about the weekly Sabbath. Uh, he was talking about the, uh, the, the new moon festivals, the the sabbatical and jubilee year, Passover and Pentecost, and, and all these, uh, they started observing all these Old Testament stuff that they'd been set, that, that were set free from. We don't have to follow that anymore. And so they, they were actually being like non-believers. They weren't chasing after the lustful stuff. But they were ch chasing after something that had the same consequence. It was enslaving them. Just like this crowd of non-believers, they're enslaved 
to those desires. And it, it runs their life. It rules their life. Paul, he said it bluntly, I, I fear for you. Perhaps all of my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from those things. For I became like you Gentiles, free from those laws. He, he said, really, I, I kind of became like you. You influenced me. I, I, I gave up all that stuff. And you did not mistreat me when I first came. Um, surely you remember that I was sick when I, was first, when I first brought you the good news. Now, so some people think he had malaria. And uh, so it was a big deal that these non-believers were accepting to him because, you know, they didn't know if he was contagious or not. And, by the way, why would you be drawn to a person's God and that, <laughs> that person's really sick? Something like malaria. I mean, you think, hey, what, what kind of God do you follow? He can't even make you well. Yeah, you know, that verse right here kind of flies in the face of these wealth and wealth, uh, wealth and health kind of preachers who say, you follow Jesus, you'll be, you should be rich and you should be healthy. Really? So I guess it didn't work out too well for Paul, did it? You see, Paul, not only did he battle this, whatever it was, he also had really poor eyesight. In fact, near the end of the book of Galatians, he said, I, see, I'm writing in my own handwriting because the letters are so big. Uh, he usually used a secretary to write his letters because he couldn't see very well. And, and so he, he would have to write big whenever he wrote. And he says that at the end of in the book of Galatians. Um, so if, if God was all about you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy if you follow me, that's just not true at all. And... Um, in fact, I, I think Paul, he, we don't know why he had the poor eyesight, but I, I got a few ideas. Maybe it was, you remember when he first got saved, if you, were, if you knew the story, when he encountered Jesus, when he was going to go, as Paul was going to persecute, arrest, and imprison some uh, Christ followers, he met Jesus, and he was blinded from the event. And it was three late days later that he, his eyesight was restored. I've always wondered, there's a guy in the Old Testament who had a wrestling match with an angel. Oh, you know, I don't know how you win those. And, uh, but as an end result, the angel touched his hip, and, and the guy had a limp for the rest of his life as a reminder of that event. It makes me kind of wonder that when Paul lost his eyesight and then it was restored three days later, maybe, maybe it wasn't fully restored as a reminder. This is just a reminder of who I am and who you are. You see, here's the deal. A lot of us think... That is, in this life, everything's supposed to be hunky-dory if you're a Christian. No problems. 
Everything's provided for, healthy, wealthy, everything's great. You know, let me tell you, that does happen, but it happens when you die and you go to heaven. That's when it happens. I mean, when you get to heaven, you then inherit the, the universe with God. You're a co-heir with Christ. In fact, when you go to heaven as a believer, you are brought into the family. You're married, become the eternal companion to Jesus. How cool is that? You are going to be Jesus's eternal companion in heaven. That's astounding to me. So in this life, it's like on-the-job training. It is us getting ready for that life. And so I think God sometimes allows the discomfort, the struggles, to grow us, to mature us. In fact, Paul, and, and it was totally okay for him to do this, he, he prayed three times that God would fix his eyesight. He prayed three times, three times. You would think God was, you know, Paul was doing some amazing things for the kingdom's work. You would think that God would grant such a simple prayer request. And uh, God said to Paul, I'm not going to do it. And here's why. I want you to discover that I'm enough for you. My grace is sufficient. You see, the lie that a lot of us have bought into, we think that it's Jesus plus. I need Jesus, but I need all this other stuff. I need this, I need that, I need this status, I need this position, I need all these other things. And God is saying, no, you don't. You need me, period. And besides, the stuff that you're talking about, it doesn't last. And what I've got waiting for you, it's going to blow your socks off. We don't even wear socks in heaven. That's why he's going to blow them off. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be amazing. He said, what I've got for you will never wear out. It will last forever. Nobody will ever steal it from you. You never have to worry about the stock market ever again. It's not affected by inflation. It is eternal wealth. It's my universe. And in case you weren't paying attention, just last week, God sent us a picture of a glimpse of it. Our scientists created this new telescope that was sent up into space. And what did God do in return? He sent us a snapshot of our inheritance. Everything that that thing has taken pictures of is part of your inheritance. And it's amazing. It's fascinating. It's unbelievable. What I think is amazing here on earth is zilch compared to that. So God is using this life to train us, to teach us. He allows us to struggle. He's wanting to grow us, to learn to trust him more and more so that when we get to heaven, we're prepared 
to be the eternal companion of his son Jesus. So Paul's dealing with this church that got off track. Some false teachers came in and said, yeah, yeah, you need to accept Jesus, but you need to keep all the Old Testament laws. You need to keep all these rituals. You need to keep all this legal stuff. And basically, they were saying, you've got to make yourself righteous. You, you can't do that. That's impossible. Only Jesus can do that. Self-righteousness doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Oh, you might be able to do it for a little bit, but it doesn't last very long. You can go on a retreat and go to a camp and have an amazing experience and make all these promises, but how long does it take before you get back into the old stuff? It can happen pretty quick because self-righteousness doesn't work. That's why I want God's righteousness, not my righteousness. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 14, Paul said, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, the malaria, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in. You cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ himself. Where is that joyful, grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if that were possible. Now, that was a figure of speech, but I think, again, it was referring to Paul's eyesight. He said, you know, you know, I struggled with my eyesight. You know about that story. And I think you would have been willing just to give me your eyes just to heal me. But that's not the way that didn't need to work. Have I now, verse 16, have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor because it's all about them. But their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. That self-righteous club, they were trying to imprison those recently freed people so that they could control them. For somehow that makes them feel good about themselves. You see, those, those false teachers, they were trying to obtain their own righteousness. Verse 18, if someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Don't, that basically means don't do it for show. Do it in secret as well. Oh, my dear children, I, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains again for you. And, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. There, there's a huge statement right there. That's a prayer that God would love to answer in your life. A righteous prayer. This is a prayer you ought to pray regularly. Lord, fully develop 
Jesus in me. Oh, that's a, that's a great prayer. And I, I promise you, God gets excited about answering that prayer. Every time I pray that prayer, God gets to work. He begins to show me those things that are not Christ-like so that I can drop them and let go of them. Fully develop Christ in me. I, now, I prayed, I prayed a foolish prayer one time, and uh, I regretted it, and I pulled back from it, and I asked God to stop answering it, because he did answer it. Um, I prayed one time. I said, God, show me the things that break your heart. And he started showing me, and I couldn't handle it. And I, I just said, God, stop. I can't, I can't handle it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he said, that's right. And you don't have to. But I wanted you to have a glimpse of what breaks my heart. Because it doesn't have to break. I don't want it to break you. I, I carry that burden so that you don't have to. So here's what that looks like. As God fully develops Jesus in me, I begin to look at people the way God looks at them. I begin to look at people through spiritual eyes at their spiritual condition. Because that's all that matters. And I feel a burden for them spiritually. Because that's what God has for them. So God tempered that prayer request of mine. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how I really feel about people. And so when I see someone and I talk to them, I'm sitting there and God reminds me, he said, Don, I, I died for this person. That's how important they are to me. I died for this person. And I want you to love them like I love them. And I want you to tell them what I did for them. Because they don't know. I, I want you to care for them like I care for them. And I died for them. I died for them. I, I challenge you to pray this gutsy prayer. Lord, fully develop Jesus in me. In fact, that takes me to our, you know, we're doing the nine um, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The word for the day on that one, we're on the seventh word, which is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, let, let's look at that for a second. He tells us, and he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, faithfulness. The quality which renders a person trustworthy, reliable, loyal. So the Holy Spirit in me wants to develop faithfulness, trustworthiness, reliableness with him 
so that when God shows me the things that burden him for someone else, it burdens me. That I care about that person the way God cares about them. And that I see that person as someone that Jesus chose to die for. I want to have that kind of faithfulness. And I cannot develop it myself. That's why it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit develops it in me. So are you willing to pray that gutsy prayer? Lord, develop, fully develop Jesus in me. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe you're ready to stop chasing after these dead-end road things over here. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're tired of trying to save yourself, self-righteousness, and you're ready to be free from both, either one. Maybe you're ready to say, fully develop Jesus in me. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll be here at the front. And I'd like to pray for you personally. But you don't have to come to me to pray and talk to God. So you come if you want to and just stand here, kneel here at the front and do business with Holy God and just say, fully develop Jesus in me. You pray what's on your heart, what God's put there. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, I, I just thank you. If I start naming all the things I'm thankful for, I, I just would never stop. So I, I pray that you will fully develop Jesus in each person in this room. The person listening online, you'll fully develop Christ in them. And as we're in that on-the-job training, that you're preparing us in this short, brief life, you're preparing us for eternity to be the eternal companion of your son. And just last week, you sent a snapshot of what our inheritance looks like. Unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and knowing how you feel about us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.